and welcome to the Special Needs Sibling Podcast, where we talk about what life is really like as a sibling to someone with special needs. I'm your host, Charlene, and today our guest all the way from Australia is Kate. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Charlene. Great to be here. Yeah. Thanks for thanks for coming on. I, I'm glad that we like we got to meet and we got to chat, obviously, before the recording, get to know each other. stuff. So it's really exciting. I'm really glad that you could be here today. Um, so I guess we'll just hop into your family structure. If you can tell us about your family, um, who has a disability, any like fun facts about them. Yeah, sure. And I grew up with a mom and a dad and and uh, my sister um, was four years older than me. She had cerebral palsy. She has also passed away uh, about 10 years ago. Um, so it's just me with my um, my own family now. But um, And my sister had both intellectual and physical disability. Um, she couldn't talk well. She could make some sounds and we could sometimes understand her, but it was sometimes a bit like, you know, I've got a secret trying to work yeah. out what she was trying to say. Yeah. And it meant that her swallowing was difficult. So she had to have her meals chopped up or, or mashed up. And um, okay. half of her side was partially paralyzed. So when she was a kid, she wore calipers on her legs and one of her hands didn't work so well. Um, so yes, it was quite severe disability, but she also had um, a great personality in many ways and, and had a great sense of humor. Um, and, um, you know, she would enjoy, especially her family. And yes, yeah, she, she, she really enjoyed having fun. Yeah. I feel like as I've, as I gotten older and get to like, look back on it, I'm like, wow, like the humor in my sister, who's like, she, I mean, she's not nonverbal, but the, it's kind of to a point where in a similar fashion, when she was much younger, right. It's like, she would point at stuff or have eye contact with certain objects and you're like, you're kind of playing this game. Like, I think she's looking at this, but I don't know. But yeah, it was the amount of like, it's almost like all of the, instead of her talking, like all her humor comes out in all these other ways that are very unique to them instead of just, oh, I can tell a joke and it's funny, which is great. You know, I'm not, I'm not knocking anyone for that, but yeah, it's her, her particular version of humor is is like so special but i love it like it's only she can make those jokes like i couldn't you know <laughs> yes but alongside that she also really struggled in many ways um uh besides the struggle with eating and talking and moving she also had very severe seizures and would often be awake at night crying so we would often not get good night's sleep and the seizures that she had were really um, quite scary for me. She was four years older than me. And I do have a really strong sense of being very frightened by those, but but also just the general stress uh, in our family. So we were a very loving family, very close, but there was a lot of stress. Yeah, I I share in that sentiment of the, the stress level. It's And it's funny because I feel like I wasn't aware how high it was until I like moved out. And then I was like, oh, like that's, yes. that's actually pretty high versus, you know, comparatively to other people that I was like living with or met. And I was like, oh, okay, I need to 
fortunately now I've like I've leveled out a little bit, but yeah, it, it's uh yeah. <laughs> I share that sentiment. Uh usually we keep it open for him on the podcast, um, but because you have lots of life experience and lots of exciting things to talk about, uh I actually have a list of questions for you that we kinda talked about before, and then obviously you can throw in anything else that inspired you along the way or afterwards. Um, but you've been involved in the sibling advocacy space for a very long time. Um, so I was wondering what got you inspired to like to do it and to keep being in it for so long. Look, I think when I first got started, it, it was really me thinking, watching my two daughters who interacted very differently than I was able to with my sister. And it was really interesting too because the school that they went to had uh, a program for children with disability and okay. there were a set of twins two little girls and one had significant disability and the other one didn't and i really had this strong feeling that i wanted to reach out to the people that were looking after these kids and say hey don't forget that other one don't forget the little one that oh, yeah. <laughs> doesn't have a disability yeah and so the combination of I guess having children myself and seeing these other children, it really led me then to start thinking about, I want to tell other people what this experience is like. And that then led to me starting mm. my book about my experiences, but I also interviewed quite a few other siblings, both in Australia and overseas, quite a few in the US. And then while I was mm -hmm. thinking about the book, I actually visited the US. My husband had sabbatical and we lived for a time in Oregon on two different occasions. But I came across the sibling project in Seattle and um, made first contact. And, and I also made contact with an organization in the UK. And I started to think maybe I could set up something myself in Australia. And so that's what then led to me setting up Siblings Australia nearly 25 years ago now. So, yes, a long time. And yeah. um, it, it, I guess as I got more involved and realised that siblings were so overlooked and I felt that not only were they mm -hmm. important for themselves and their own, you know, getting support for their own challenges, but I just started to see so much more how important that sibling relationship was for the person with disability. And yet, especially in Australia, and I think in the US as well and other places, everybody focuses on the child with disability and doesn't think about that long-term relationship yeah. that's likely to be there right. long after everybody else is um, that's involved in their lives now. So, yeah, that was really my motivation to begin with. Yeah, no, that's so cool. I, I definitely, like... I, 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 that came across it, but I think, um, during lockdown, because you have lots of time to kind of be with your thoughts while you're inside your own house. When I was looking at resources for siblings, it was this very, like, there were, there were like some books, like, I'm sure I came across yours, um, cause that it's just, it's been around for a little bit and it, I've. And at the same time, I came across so, a lot of stuff for, like, little kids. Um, like, you know, like, they're 12 and under, they're, like, four, or they're, like, three, and they're, like, kind of, like, in elementary school. But there was this really big gap, like, 
for anyone in between kind of like that was a young adult or like a slightly older adult who had like young kids or like you know that like in their kind of in that like millennial age people right and I was like oh that's I just thought it was so peculiar that it was such a big gap between the books that like you yourself and like some other sibs had written at that time versus now um and they yes yeah and I think with my book I really wanted it to be something that would help parents and professionals understand the sibling experience and what they could do to support siblings mm. but I also wanted it to be for adult siblings and there's separate sections for them to help them work through some of those I guess reactions and triggers that they have and how they might help themselves adjust yes. or, or, or really come to some greater self-understanding and so both of them really started um to be thought about very at a very similar time you know about 24 years ago and um yeah. so yes um the book's been out there for a long time as well and it's odd because it's called something else in australia um in australia the first edition was in 2002 and then mm -hmm. the us put it out out an edition called being the other one in about 2005 but then we did a revised edition of the australian one which came out in about 2015, which is called Siblings, okay. Brothers and Sisters of Children with Disability. Just a little plug there. Um, yeah. But <laughs> yeah. it's confusing because um, the US one being the other one isn't the revised edition, but it's really hard. People sometimes think they're different books, but the revised edition is obviously a bit different. But yeah, it's... Yeah. Um, yeah, that that's why I remember when we first started talking about it. I was also I was one of the people who were confused because since I'm in the U.S. and I was like, wait, and I and I remember as we were talking, I was looking at it and you were explaining some other things. I was like, oh, okay, then I, then it, the picture kind of came together. So it's it's interesting how yeah how that kind of works. And what the the funny thing about the books is like when when I was looking, literally in between that time and when I started this podcast earlier. Um, like, I I think I've met three people who are sibs who have all published books literally in between that time span. So by the time I met them, I looked at their publisher, I'm like, oh, hey, that's after I already tried to look for them. So it's kind of, it's kind of funny <laughs> how it's great. Yeah, it's awesome. Yeah, so it's... because, you know, we all have such different experiences. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I always say that, you know, you've met one sibling and you've met one sibling because yes. everybody has such different experiences. But what I also say is that often siblings need the same things, though. So they might have different yeah. experiences, but they need the same the same things. And certainly when I wrote my book and through the work that I've done mm -hmm. uh, and talking with lots of parents and siblings and providers, it's very clear that there are some key things that siblings need. Yeah, which I guess can bring us into our next topic question, which is, I wonder what it was like for you to meet other siblings, you know, like, when you came, like, first came to the U.S. and at that time when, you know, before the internet exploded the way it is now, like, I was wondering, like, what it was like while you're doing your research and just meeting other people and everything like that. Well, it was just amazing, especially in the beginning. I mean, when I started interviewing some adult siblings, especially in my hometown, it was really quite quite moving. We were often in tears. And I think it was really yeah. about 
that sense of this person understands and yes you know and it just then validates you and no i'm not going crazy afterward after all and um also in my research i started finding books that have been written by professionals not by family members that talked about some of the things that i'd experienced and again it was like whoa that's me and it was just so validating and important uh to come across that and I wish that I'd been able to much younger, but it was still better to do it then than never. And so, yes, it was yes. It was yeah. really, really uh, such an amazing experience and I made lovely connections with people and still continue to have those connections with people. Yeah, I think that was the thing when I... Like, I had met siblings, like, before the podcast or just, like, in everyday life and stuff like that. And, and that was its own kind of like very awe-inspiring you know moments in time and I remember I have very specific memories of like when I met certain people just because it was that you know like interconnected and everything but the thing that continues to blow my mind about the podcast is like I will meet people from around the world right different ages and the whole thing and it's like it but it's still so we connect so much on different levels that I can't connect with people that I grew up with because it's just it's just so different. So I, I definitely feel the very, I feel, yeah, it's, it's, I love feeling, I love feeling validated. Cause you just like, Oh, I'm not insane. Like, like, you know, like it's, it's such a great feeling to know exactly. that other people feel the same things. Yeah. Yeah. And had you met any siblings before you kind of started your investigation into that? Just like in, you know, with your family proximity or school or anything like that? Well, it's interesting because my sister went to a wonderful school and now the families interacted a lot and there were lots of activities. And so I did come across siblings and then they made friends with people who had kids with disabilities. So I got to, mm. you know, sometimes play with the with the siblings. But I'd never had a meaningful chat with anybody about our experiences. That had never been facilitated. So people certainly were happy to have these siblings come together and play, but there was never never any um, um, never any understanding of how helpful that would be to have us talk together and even later okay. you know when I um, went to had contact with therapists for, for quite a while none of them ever explored my family situation here I was I'd grown up with an older sister with severe disability and all they could do was talk to me about deep breathing when I was having a panic attack or, you know, they didn't ever explore yeah. what was, what had gone on in my childhood. And that, I guess, going back to that earlier question of what motivated me, it was also that lack of understanding in people that I went to to try and get help mm. who just, like, it just didn't rate a mention for them, you know, and they knew yeah. I told them, but then it was just onto this other stuff that was just useless. And it was <laughs> not until probably in my forties that I found somebody who helped me work through some of that stuff. And so that was really the big impetus as well. That sense of I've yeah. got to get this out there. I've got to get more people thinking about this and understanding it. Yeah, no, I, I'm, I'm holding back my laughter because I was talking to my husband about something 
and he, and he literally told me to do breathing exercises. And I was like, really? Like, and it's, it, yeah. So I, I just had to bring that up because, cause like I had already at that, I, and this, that, that's more recent, right? Because I already was my, the first therapist before I switched states, right? Cause I just, you, cause they're licensed in different states, right? So was my first, she already taught me how to breathe. And that did help at the beginning. Cause I just, we didn't get into all the kind of the deeper stuff that, you actually need to kind of work through with your inner child, you know, that we can kind of get into that later, but it, it just cracked me up when he said that. Cause there's, there is so much work. Cause I was going to, which I, I didn't write this question now for you, but I was wondering if you wanted or however comfortable you feel about talking about working someone through those things. Cause I know like for myself, it's been so helpful with having my therapist help walk through that with me and kind of giving guidance and like, and, and she's very well informed. And now I think, you know, at this point in time, people are much more educated in that space. Definitely. And look, I think the thing that um, this particular therapist did with me to begin with was he actually gave me permission to be talking to him and talking about this stuff. You know, he said, mm -hmm. it's good that you're looking at this. This is important. And yes, it would have had a big impact on you. And I think part of me always felt a little bit self-indulgent I knew that I was having these issues, huge anxiety, panic attacks or whatever, but it just felt a bit self-indulgent because I didn't have the issues that my sister had and, you know, how dare I not manage right. my life when I had yep. everything going for me. So there was a little bit of yeah. that. But also, he, you know, I think a lot of my journey was really going back and forgiving the little child that was me, the fact that sometimes I wanted my sister to disappear Sometimes, you know, I just really got very angry with her. And I think, you know, as you would probably relate, there was a lot of guilt about that as well because here's this, you know, I'd be asked to go to parties and she wouldn't and, you know, I'd head off to the party and she'd be crying. And, and so, that you know, when you can do all these things that your sister can't do, there's a huge amount of guilt. So... Working through some of that and, and having a bit of compassion for me as a little child and realising, well, you know, she didn't have the understanding and maturity of a, of a grown woman. She was a child. She was confused by what was going on around her. She had no one that she could really talk to about that. And I think a lot of people in those days, I mean, I'm 70 now, I think a lot of people felt if you didn't talk about something then it didn't affect the child. Mm. Whereas we know now, of course, that children pick up so much, yes. absorb so much, and they need some sort of outlet for some of those things to be able to manage them. And just acknowledging, if somebody had acknowledged the difficulty that I had, even, that would have been huge. But certainly the other big thing for me was working through some of the grief and I remember my therapist asked me to write a letter to my sister at one point. And, you know, the tears just came like you wouldn't believe. And I thought I was never going to stop. And, and, but it was interesting that I think for me, it meant that the grief didn't go away, but I understood it better. I understood that that's what it was, whereas I'd mm. never really labelled it as being grief and loss and I felt grief for my parents and what they were going through. Yeah. I felt enormous grief for my sister and the struggles that she had. But I also felt grief for myself because I didn't have the sister or brother that other kids had. That, 
so yeah. you know that grief yeah. as well and but uh so you know there were other things that we went through as well but it was really about that understanding of you know what those things were and the and the sense of not being as important and so you know still in my life i can i can feel instances where there'll be a trigger and i'll realize oh yes that's oh interesting that's even, even even now, now like even with you have your own family and like oh man that well i guess i'll my therapist told me it was never going to go away but now i really know it's not going to go away but you manage it easier and that, that self-understanding and self-compassion yeah. and yeah compassion for those around me i have enormous compassion for my parents as well and i wish they'd done some things differently but I also understand, you know, what they were going through and their grief. Um, and but I was definitely the good child. I I didn't want to make waves, and um, yeah. I think that's a very common thing for siblings to feel that they've got enough to deal with. They don't need me to be naughty or or not do as I'm told. So yes, I'm always the the good child. Yeah, that I'm right there with you on that one. <laughs> That's story of my life. <laughs> no, yeah, thank you so much for talking about your journey through that. I know, like, different people feel different ways about like counseling and therapy and everything. But yeah, I I'm a very I'm a very big advocate of theory, not theory, therapy, uh, on this podcast and just in in my life and stuff. And so I I thank you so much for just sharing your journey through that, especially as you've gone through larger milestones in your life and stuff. And I and I. For the grief thing, it that was one of the things that kind of got my like wheels turning when my therapist first was kind of explaining how that grief works. Because grief is not just oh someone's passed and you've lost something, right? It's it's me mourning I didn't get the life that I wanted. My parents didn't get right. My sister like the whole. It's not just yeah. There's like things for me to grieve in my own childhood that I didn't get, and that's that's okay to grieve that. And I, and I remember I was so confused the first time, but now, and, and my husband used to joke that like, I never cried on any movie. Like I just, I had no heart was like his joke, but now, now I see things. I just, cry, I cry like all the time, almost like, cause it's, cause it's all these things. I'm like, Oh, like, you know, if I had that as a kid, like it's, it's, it's these validating things or things I didn't get to have because of family situations or how I grew up. And it, it's, so it feels good to cry now, which which is which is good. But yeah, it's definitely a lots of there's always things to process and like things to go through. But it's it's all for the better of of everybody. It can be complex. <laughs> yeah. Um, as you were meeting um siblings, kind of like in different parts of the world, like between the UK and the US and then Australia, were there any cultural differences that you noticed between those three major ones, or did you kind of is it kind of all the same that you saw? Look, I think the reactions and the needs and all of those things are pretty similar. I didn't see a lot of difference. Mm. I think one of the things that is striking to me. Um, and I in the US and I think is better uh, in the UK and in Australia we tend to refer to family members of people with disability as carers so you know I'm a carer oh, whatever okay. and this person is a carer for this person with disability oh I see 
And in the US, the terminology tends to be more, I'm a family caregiver. And to me, that makes a big difference in terms, and it's subtle, but that difference in terms of power balance and um, dignity for people with disability, a whole range of, of things. And in Australia in particular, I've fought very um, hard against siblings being lumped under the young carer umbrella. The young carer term really started out in the UK and has been taken up in Australia to refer to young children who were originally, it was referring to children who cared for parents who had an illness or disability. And so, you know, often their schooling was affected and, okay. and whatever. And, and gradually siblings have been included in that as well, yeah. which I think that, I mean, I'm happy for siblings to get support from wherever they can, but I see it as two overlapping circles that mm -hmm. young carers and siblings have some things that are very different and some things that are overlapping. And I just think that there's some real dangers going down that policy path because siblings often have such a heightened, mm -hmm. you know, an identity around helping others and putting other people's needs in front of their own. And yes. I think calling children young young carers really adds to that yeah. but also you know what 12 year old boy wants his eight-year-old sister to be known as his carer right <laughs> whereas that terminology family caregiver is more what i'm giving it's not so much about the relationship that i have to the person with disability and i think in australia there's just too much emphasis put on that carer role without thinking about the relationship okay. and so often it's policy around carers rather than policy around relationships yeah. and I think that's a real danger because that sibling relationship to me is so important regardless of whether you're providing direct care or not yeah um, that relationship the relationship that I had with my sister was far more important to her than any care that I might have given her. And I was fortunate in that I didn't have to give day-to-day -day care to her, but, you know, certainly if she came to visit and I yeah. took an active role in the organisation that she that supported her, so I was very active in that, but I didn't do the hands-on caring. But it's the relationship. And so a lot of my work in recent years has been around working with parents and providers on how people can nurture that relationship oh, okay. um, rather than focusing on the, the care aspect. But getting back to the original question, yeah, look, I think the issues and the, and the needs are pretty much universal. And I've talked to siblings from, you know, so many different countries and they're all pretty, pretty close. And it was interesting because I've done a lot of presenting in Italy and I love Italy and, I've okay. become um, very connected to it. And when I first went, I was a little bit nervous about talking about to parents because I sometimes talk about the importance of um, faith or, you know, how sometimes people's faith can be just totally destroyed by having a child with disability. For others, it becomes stronger. Yes. Um, and... Yeah. I, I often talk about the meaning of disability and that can sometimes, you know, some people see disability as a punishment um, or as an absolution right. that they'll surely get to heaven. Now, I don't, I don't believe any of those yeah. things, but I sometimes talk about those aspects and 
And so I, I raised them. Um, I worked with a psychologist and I talked to him about it and he, you know, he supported me in, in raising some of those issues. And there was a lot of connection still and, and a lot of resonance with thinking about those issues. So even though they're a very religious yeah. society, uh, a lot of those issues still resonated. And so, yes, I think whatever the culture... I mean, there are some differences. I mean, I think our Indigenous people probably handle the situation with people with disability maybe differently to us. There's probably other cultures who do, but certainly in terms of developed countries like Australia and the US and the UK, there's not a lot of difference. Yeah, that, and that's so interesting because it's, it's not something that, like... I even really thought about until we were talking about like that you've lived just in different places and it's like oh it's just yeah it's interesting how like even though we can grow up different and like different environments and just like and other cultural aspects that are different but like yeah but the needs are so they're very similar right you know like a couple like you maybe don't dot every i or cross every t but they're so they're very similar in that regard which is it's so fascinating but it's just but it also simultaneously it's it's so cool because then I can meet other people like yourself like if we're across the world and we can talk about it all day because we just have very it's all the connection points are all the same because we just we feel the same thing so that that part's so exciting exactly. <laughs> at the exactly. same time and I was wondering um because I I I do not have as, as much life experience as you do and and either and also some of the people who've been on the podcast so far were all kind of all younger adults. And I was wondering if you could kind of talk about any like highlight reels or kind of like different milestones like between uh, that you and your sister had like you know like with her moving into like different housing or like you getting married and starting your own family or like in your childhood just because as I talk to lots of people who are my age right we're right now in this kind of our parents are still alive our par our siblings are in the kind of like we're dealing with like guardianship conservatorship where they're gonna live and kind of that world of you know people having kids but not everyone's married so i was yeah i was wondering if you like for yourself kind of what yeah if you could talk about those different things and transitions for yourself sure and look i think uh when i think about my childhood again as i said earlier we played together i think we had fun but there was a lot of stress and i'd be awake a lot and um frightened by her seizures and you know, I remember that sometimes she would go to stay somewhere else. Uh, I guess the term here in those days was respite mm -hmm. um, to give my parents in particular a break, but me as well. But often she would be so upset at going Aww. that it just was hardly worth it, yeah. you know. And so the thing that I do like these days is that there's more of an emphasis on you know, everyone needs a break from family and there's more emphasis on these, on a child with disability maybe going and, and having a sleepover like other kids do and, and having some of those tiny independent activities as at whatever level that independence can be, but I think that's so important. Um, certainly as I started to get a little bit older, I was very embarrassed um, and 
because partly because when we went out, people wouldn't just stare, but they would stop in their tracks and watch as we walked along oh. because she, you know, had an unusual gait and mm. she would often be drooling and maybe making some funny noises. And so I really did feel quite um, embarrassed and that lasted for quite a long time, I think, even into my 20s. And I did a lot of travelling in my 20s. And I think that was partly to just develop my own identity, develop some yeah. independence. And I, I feel very grateful to my parents looking back that they supported that. And it must have been very difficult for them to wave me off to go overseas in a period where you didn't have mobile phones yeah. and the internet. So, you know, it'd be 10 days <laughs> between me writing a letter and then getting it and yeah. then they'd send a letter back. I know it's hard to imagine, but um, so... I was still very involved with my family and, and close, but I just, I really didn't have uh, a bond with her. I didn't communicate a lot with her. As time went on, that happened more. And when I had my own children, she just adored her nieces. Aww. And um, we really, you know, brought her into the family, part of the family. Okay. We, you know, did family things with my parents and with her and, and our children, my husband and I. And I became less embarrassed by her, I think, and then got very heavily involved in the organisation that supported her. Okay. And it was really interesting, as she got older and we went through some other milestones, I mean, she did eventually go into supported accommodation. My parents needed to do that because her behaviour became quite difficult. And she eventually settled and, yeah. and she also was involved in supported employment and she loved that. But it was really interesting and I do feel a sense of sadness about this in a way because later when my mum had severe dementia, there were times where I was able to communicate a little bit more with her in the sense that I got a real sense of her really not wanting to go and see my mother because it upset her, I think, oh, to see my mother having dementia. Ah. And so that, you know, my mum had dementia for about 10 years oh. and... It was pretty, uh, pretty hard, and I think with my sister toward, you know, later, I was able to communicate with her at a different level, um, which is interesting. But the other thing that I think is quite interesting that I hadn't understood her compassion for others, and when my father died, and it was really hard sharing that with her because she adored my dad, she adored her mum as well. But yeah. you know, you can't protect people from grief um, yeah. and so yeah. but I supported her through that but one of the most moving things really was during my dad's funeral my daughter mm -hmm. um, was a bit teary and and yeah. my sister was sitting next to her and I looked over and I noticed she was patting her leg Aww. just a little comforting move of patting her leg yeah. and I thought oh that is so sweet um, you know, and I think she got real enjoyment out of showing that compassion and consoling. And, um, but not long after that, um, actually, um, well, two years after that, she passed away very quickly, which again was a huge shock and, yeah. and difficult in many ways. But I have to admit that there was some relief because she was terrified of doctors and hospitals oh, and... No. <clears throat> excuse me, 
and I'd had breast cancer and other illnesses and I just thought if she got anything like that it would have been a nightmare for her she would have been so terrified and you know she was 64 when she died and right. she'd had you know she'd had a good as life as she could have obviously there were huge struggles but she was loved and cared for and so I was really relieved in a way that she didn't have to go through any of those major illnesses and um so yeah yeah that's yeah that, I was like it's so crazy because it's and it's it's I'm sure it's the, the next thing I'm about to say is definitely related to the age thing right because it's just right now it's 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 one of those like the the thing that I the thing that's most relevant to me in real time is just like not being like I'm I'm probably like well I'm, I'm I don't know how many miles it is but I know like I am a 11 and a half hour drive from where my sister lives and that is like such a like I would have never imagined me living like more than an hour away from her ever right like just when you grow up you're like that's just not part of the picture so it's like right and that's I'm just trying to deal with that, right? And, and it's not dealing with, it's just, that's just accepting kind of like where where we've chosen to be, the, her best housing situation, what's best for my parents, right? It's just kind of collectively that it's worked out because if she was not able to get into that place, I probably wouldn't be here, right? So it's very much all part of like the grander scheme of things. But yeah, there, there's so many... Yes, and also these days, it's so easy to stay in touch. You yes. know, I think people with disability especially if there's intellectual disability you know it's not the same as a hug obviously but a conversation yeah, or a connection did through digital means can mean so much and so i think it is easier when people are further away these days to be able to manage that, that. Whereas, very true yes, I, <laughs> yeah, yeah it's just it's yeah i feel like it's just it, there's lots of ups and downs and i feel like I feel like for siblings, it's just the highs are really high and the lows are really low. It's just more so than like the average person because there's, because it's not just us, right? There's, it's the whole package like with our sibling. Yeah, there's so many things. Um, those are all the questions that I had written out earlier. Um, did you have anything else that you wanted to bring up or talk about since we're here? I don't um, think so. I think. Um... I covered most of it in terms of that relationship being important and and yeah look I guess if yeah. I was to offer some sort of encouragement to adult siblings in particular it would be to really try and understand your reactions and yeah. those triggers and <clears throat> I, I said uh, earlier how you know sometimes those mm. triggers would happen even in adulthood and I remember very clearly one day when my uh, youngest daughter who's now in her 30s was about four and so we're talking quite a number of years ago but you know I was mm -hmm. in my early 40s <clears throat> excuse me and I was chastising her my sister and my parents were there and I was chastising her she was being quite naughty and my sister came over to me and hit me she I think she must have felt like I shouldn't be chastising my little four-year-old and she hit me on the arm and then she walked over to the corner 
It was really quite funny yeah. when I look back on it. And I couldn't help but think, yeah. I felt like saying to my parents, hang on, I was the one that was hit. What are you doing following her? You should be checking that I'm okay. And so <laughs> I realised then that, you know, it was a very child-like response to, um, and, and the fact that I was aware of it was interesting yeah. and I could have a bit of a laugh about it. But... Um, but I still remember right, in yeah. my childhood where my sister, even though she had physical disability, she was quite strong and she would often hit me and I'd hit her back and my mum would say, don't do that, she can't help yeah, it, right. which used to make me so angry because I felt like she could damn well help it. <laughs> and yeah. she, my mum... Yeah, 100%. <laughs> my mum... Yeah, she my 100% was me, aware. Do she can't help it. <laughs> And, you know, looking back on that now and when I work with parents, I often tell that little story along with others that I've heard from others along the way But and say to them that what would have really helped me at that, at that point would have been if my mum had said to me, I wish she didn't hit you, I'm sorry she hit you, but she doesn't understand and that's her only way of expressing her anger. What else could you do instead of hitting her back? That recognition and understanding, that that acknowledgement. That, that would be, yeah, that's golden ticket. Like, I feel, I feel better in that situation. That wasn't even and there. So, like, that's yes, golden ticket. Yes, it's about yeah. that acknowledgement. And so, you know, I think as adults, just understanding what it is, what were the messages that you were given as a child and what have you taken over into adulthood and try and if you need to um, have a therapist to help you work through that because sometimes it's hard to work with your family around those issues. So I think that you can get to a point where, yes, there, you know, the grief and the all sorts of things might still be there, but I think you can manage it better and understand better. And I think, too, having compassion for yourself is really important and for others, as I said earlier, realising that I was a little kid dealing with these things, that, you know, I wasn't a bad kid after all. I think I grew up thinking I was this horrible child because I wanted my sister to disappear, yeah. whereas other kids can say to their brothers or sisters, you know, yeah. drop dead, I hate you, and nobody... Nobody worries about that. It's a normal part <laughs> right. of child development, a yeah. very healthy part that's, of child development. Right. And that's what I meant when I used to see my kids yeah. interact where they'd look like they were going to murder each other one minute and then they'd be sitting on the couch with their arms around each other. And <laughs> I just realised how healthy that was to be able to express that anger yeah. and so intensely but then also the love. Mm -hmm. I'd also suggest that siblings connect with other siblings as much as they can online. The, um, yes. the sibling project in um, Seattle, certainly the sibling support project has an online group. We have them in, we have one in, um, in Australia that I set up many years ago as well. And then as you mentioned, there's books out there by, you know, siblings, but also other books written by other people, you know, for or about siblings. And, there's some more that are around that future planning too because I think that future planning is so important and that communication, you know, sometimes parents aren't ready to have that communication uh, because they find it difficult to think about that time when maybe they're not around. And so 
I have huge compassion for parents who don't want to talk about it, but you know, I, as I talk about in my book, even just having a folder with all the information about the person, their doctor, what they like, what they don't like. And yeah. there are certainly books out there, though, that can help yep. you with that planning and, um, you know, that communication with your parents. And um, so, yeah, um, I think that's probably, unless you've got other questions that come to mind. Um, nope, that was it. That yeah thanks for sharing all those things. That, that that was a great story for some for a hard topic to talk about that was a great story to like relate to it and no yeah i yeah i love all the things that you that you share for your encouragement it's yeah it's i agree with all of those things so it, it's it's so exciting um but yeah that's all i got so thank you for being on the podcast oh it was such a pleasure and um yeah stay in touch and yeah, I, lo I love connecting with siblings from anywhere. And um, so take care and thank you. Thanks for listening to the Special Needs Sibling Podcast. I hope you had a good time listening and feel encouraged in your own journey as a sibling to someone with special needs. If you like this episode, please share it with your friends. And if you want to hear more stories, please subscribe to the show. You can find us wherever you listen to podcasts. Also, the show can't happen without you. All special needs siblings have their own unique stories, challenges, family dynamics, and lots of life to talk about and explore. This podcast is here to let you know that you're not alone and that you matter. If you would like to be on the show or just chat off the record, please contact me. My info is in the show notes. Until next time, this is the Special Needs Sibling Podcast.